today's episode, we talk with Natalie Herzing. Natalie has worked at a number of places since her start at the Charcoal Steakhouse as a hostess. She has spent time working in French frying dining and some notable past and present local establishments such as Ennio's, Boa Nova, Nith River Chop House, Imbibe, and a few others. She has since returned to the Charcoal Group in a management role and also has her own art business. You can find her on Instagram at Blonde Redhead Co. Enjoy the show. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm Kip Saunders, your host. Uh, with me, as always, Dan Zaretta, the producer of the show. How are you doing? Uh, wonderful, as always, Dan. Thanks. Yourself? Yeah. Oh, good. Going crazy. Just yeah. trying to <laughs> pray to get to work again. I don't know. It sounds like by the time you listen to this, if we're, if we're lucky, maybe they're starting to open some places. I hear we might get 25% capacity, which for sugar Woo! run is uh, about four people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit more than that, but yeah, it should be interesting. Anyway, um, so we got a great, great guest today, Natalie Herzing, a friend of mine. How are you? How are you, Natalie? Oh, I'm good, surviving. Also, maybe going a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we both have uh, children at home, so it's quite a time. <laughs> That's the understatement of this whole pandemic. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, let's just dive right into it here. Oh, I should say before we get going too far, uh, if you like the show, the best way to support us is to subscribe, rate, and review at the Industry Podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also follow us at the Industry Podcast on Instagram. And if you wish to be on the show and you're in the service industry, just DM us right there. Um, okay, now now we'll get this started. Woo. Uh, so, Rolling to your bio here real quick, Nat. Uh, you started um, as a hostess. Sure did. At uh, Charcoal Steakhouse, which is, um, it's funny, we've had a lot of few, quite a few yeah. guests who have worked in the, uh, um, what's the, the Charcoal Group? Charcoal Group, yeah. That was yeah. Uh, <laughs> charcoal <laughs> Group, uh, set of restaurants in here, it's, uh, but they do employ a lot of people in the KW region, so I guess that makes sense. Oh. And it's kind of come full circle for you, but we'll get there. Uh, so you started as a hostess, um, and you were still in high school? I was, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, my, yeah, my parents' best friends, she was their bookkeeper, and so she hooked me up with a job, and honestly, it's probably still one of the best jobs I've ever had. Oh, really? Yeah, what I you loved like about it? it. Um, I guess it was my first taste of, like, uh, how to interact with people in, in new and interesting ways. And, uh, I guess a love for food and it was just, it was a cool, a cool job. Good people. And how, how old were you then? Uh, I started there when I, just before I turned 18. Okay. So, uh, yes. and we've had a couple of people who've done hosting jobs, um, <clears throat> on the podcast before, uh, tell us what you feel like you learned from doing the hostess thing as opposed to like, and how it prepared you for eventually getting into being like a server. Um, I guess it's kind of like dipping your toe in the water of um, how to interact with people, different people every single day, you know, um, finding ways to make small talk and not have nice. things feel awkward or I, I've always liked people I like getting to know people and I think the mm. service industry and hosting really gave me um, a taste for that. Did you, um, were you responsible for anything besides just the basics meet and greet and seat or were you, uh, do you, were you also in charge of like busing, any of that stuff at, at, at that job? So it's different at every place for hostesses. So. 
Definitely. So back then, um, I think with wage being being a lot less for the server service industry than it is it now, there was four cents an hour. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> if that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, no, there were busters at the time. So we just greeted, sat people. Okay. They were the first and last people you saw when you left the place. Right. But yeah. teachers, yeah, had to organize um, reservations for sure. That's one thing. You know, I never did that job. Um, I did do busing, but I never did like the hosting. And as a result, I still to this day, and plus the two places I've owned, we didn't take reservations. I, just, I have no fucking clue how to organize reservations. <laughs> I've been doing this job for 30 years. So I missed the step. <laughs> <laughs> but that I'm okay with the the no reservation thing. I like the no reservation thing. It, it, I, it depends on what kind of place it is, right? Like in a place Definitely. like Charcoal, obviously you have to have if you're a big restaurant. Uh, the places that I've owned have been smaller, and I just find if you the problem with the reservation system is that people don't show up and they don't tell you they're not going to come, and then you totally. Help. And if you're a smaller spot, you can't really afford to hold real estate that ends no, up not God, being no. uh, yeah that you can't use monetarily in the long run. Um, okay, so you do that. Uh, you were yep. you grew up here in KW. I did. Right. Yeah, I'm you were raised. born and raised. Okay, so then you go to Bradford for university. <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting time in my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> feel free to elaborate. <laughs> uh, the wild child in me came came out. You know, Bradford's a bit of a shithole, and there wasn't a lot to do, so. Drugs and alcohol right. or how you kept yourself busy and boarded up downtown. And Yeah, I have a couple of <laughs> friends. Uh, one who was uh, who recorded the podcast oh. last week, actually, was, who were born and raised in Brantford. And yeah, it's, it's a dirt hole. But you worked at a, a more fine dining spot there, and that would have been like, what, your first serving job? Um, I served and hosted there okay. um, while between classes and it had just opened and it was right downtown and um, really cool concept, really great chef, good food, wrong bad, city. <laughs> bad name, bad name. Bad name too, yeah. Rendezvous. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, is, that place, <laughs> is that place still there, do you know? <laughs> no, that place, yeah. I don't even know if it lasted much more than a year, if that. And did you work there the whole time it was open? Uh, no. So I worked there from like September until I came home for the summer from university. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, so what do you feel like you learned when you, like, uh, I mean, I guess it's as fine dining as Brantford can get, but uh, <laughs> anyone's listening from Brantford, I'm so not trying to really trash them. But <laughs> so they had chairs that moved, in other words? Yeah, the chairs oh. moved. Yeah. <laughs> they were welded to the tables like Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what did I learn from that job? Oh, yeah. gosh. I don't even know if I really remember much about that job, to be perfectly no. honest. Okay. Well, we can skip ahead then. Um, you come <laughs> you come back, uh, um, and then you're working at a place called Lucy's Seafood in Uptown. I'm trying to remember oh, where... Oh, I remember. That was the Waterloo Square. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was, was trying Lord to remember Cornsman. where it was. Oh, okay. So now that's that, that place. That was like the best okay. seafood joint in town for a while. It was. Oh, my God. The best seafood chowder ever. Yeah. Like, I have yet to find something that even compares. I do... I, I knew remember, I doubt I remember that place now. I had a business <laughs> when I was working at Starlight, I had a meeting with the owners there and uh they were like, Yeah, we'll get lunch at seafood and the, at this seafood spot. And it was funny because they both knew I didn't eat seafood. <laughs> but because <laughs> I, I used to make Texas barbecue before that. That's right. 
Uh, okay, so that so that place was very popular. I don't even know why that went under, but you might be able to give us um, an idea. I don't really either. Like the place was pretty, like steady. Um, and we got told that they were closing for renovations for like two, two or four weeks or something like that. And then by the six week mark, we found out through the grapevine that the building had been sold and a chorus was going in. We're like, uh, okay. Yeah. They're renovating into a breakfast job. spot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so was that your first, like, would you say your first real serving job then? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and like, uh, a place like that, are you, is that, like, I know, for instance, at the charcoal restaurants, there's, they, well, it's something we haven't really talked a whole lot about on the show before, but uh, <clears throat> place, uh, every place is different, and uh, some places really go with the overstaffing, um, so you get smaller sections, um, you tend to make a little bit less money, but the theory is that they pay an extra server or two, and then the service is better, and people come right. Back. And then the opposing theory is that, well, cut back on your labor, let your servers hire good servers who can handle bigger sections and let them make more money. Uh, yeah. Which was Lucy's, I'm not going on a limb saying Lucy's might have been a, a overstaffing situation. No, God, no. There was oh, a was really the other small, way. yeah, like we were a really small staff, both front and back of house. Um, the place wasn't overly large. I can't remember how many seats there was, but... Uh, yeah, no, it was a fairly tight-knit, like, everyone got a fair share of tables, but it, they weren't small sections, and they weren't, like, massive sections either. Okay. Um, it was a good introduction to really learn how to, like, balance multiple tables at the same time um, without feeling like you're being uh, sort of micromanaged, you know? Right. And so, like, what would be <clears throat> an average section for you? Like, how many tables? Um, at Lucy's? Whew, going way back. Um, get, get in the memory bank. <laughs> Probably like seven or eight tables. Okay, so that's that's pretty solid. Um, yeah, like, yeah, that'll keep you busy for sure, right? Uh, sure. Especially, um, I don't know, certain places too. It depends. Like, the, like if you're working at a fine dining spot, you need a smaller section because you have to spend more time at each table, right? But for sure, Lucy's is probably more of a place where you can kind of drop and go a lot. Definitely. Yeah. So you can. Um, and uh, was that? Um, was that a uh, pool tip situation or a, or Ooh, you... I don't think so. Hmm. I don't like the place was not closely managed. Like the, the owners had a Lucy's in Mississauga. So they were mostly there. So it was just like a, a general manager on, on site who just sort of oversaw things from uh, the background. But I don't think, I don't think we tip pooled. Okay. Uh, do you have a, while we're on it, do you have a, do you have a preference on pooling or uh, just making your own tips for your own section? Oh, man, I don't know. I go back and forth on the answer to that a lot. I think it really depends on the place and the people. Yeah. Um, I think a smaller place where you can cram a bunch of tables in, you only need a few people working. Why wouldn't you pool? I mean, it, it's hard to to gauge what is fair when you're working in a small restaurant, whereas right. when you're in a large, I don't, I don't know. It's that's uh, that's a tough. It's, really, it's it's <laughs> I, honestly it's fucking hard to figure out. Like even coming from the management ownership side, is like it's hard to figure out how to organize that because it's a really fine line. Sometimes it really makes sense to pull the tips, and other times it kind of it. I don't know. It can go both ways. Like 
you, you can really piss your staff off if you pull tips and they feel like someone's not pulling their weight. But oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've all been there working <laughs> with someone where you're like, why the fuck am I sharing tips with this person right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and some people do take advantage. So I think you're right. It's just like the key is having a staff that all likes each other and trusts each other to then haul workers, right? Yeah. So, I, we, I think we've all been in that situation where you're pulling tips with someone who smokes every two minutes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, I got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that can be frustrating for sure. Especially if you have a good work ethic and like, I don't know, I find that I always got to be doing something. So if you're finding, then, then you're pulling tips with somebody who's just like keeping the bar up. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> In the Bad back, news. eating off someone else's plate. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Man. I actually had to tell somebody about that this year. And like, granted, it was a younger person, but I was still surprised that people in today's day and age would still eat off fucking people's plates. <laughs> <laughs> that's really how this pandemic started. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a shame watching that fish and chips hit the trash. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it really it is it is it really is (laughs) so lucy's probably teaches you a lot about uh like you were saying organizing your time um get i one thing is that we all know in the service game is like having your flow of like knowing when to check in on which tables when to pick up when to drop off you kind of get into like a rhythm right so that's probably where you learned that definitely i think um larger sections really account for that too i find with with places that i've been that have had small set sections it's a lot of a different like time management game where i feel like now i'm just annoying my tables because i don't have enough to do and you kind of fall out of that rhythm right um so lucy's really drilled that into my head like just yeah how to manage your time how to manage your flow um, and make sure that you're sort of attending to everyone's needs yeah, you can tell the people too who have like only worked in like either smaller spots or fine dining type spots only, and then they come to a place where they they're thrown a bigger section, and, <laughs> and you're like, "Well, how are you spending ten minutes talking to that one fucking table?" Like, <laughs> and then you realize that there's two tables beside them that are just looking for their server, who just waiting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but it's that's the thing. If you've never done it, you don't fuck. You don't realize how to organize your time properly, right? Yep. Yep. Although some people just never figure it out. Uh, so you <laughs> go to Enio's, which is a pretty famous um, uh, Italian restaurant. What, there's two of them? Yeah. What, what yes. location were, were you at the original location on River Road? Mm, no, I was or at Fairway. Fairway. Yes. Is yeah, Fairway the, Fairway's the one that moves, right? <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think when they closed River Road, right? Did they go to River the I, third way, and then they opened the second one where the red pepper. I think so. Uh, right. do you, they used to have one on Lorraine, too. Lorraine. Yeah. Oh, that was, right. like, super tiny. Yeah. I remember going there as a kid with my parents. I lived in that area. Um, but, yeah, I worked at the Fairway location. So that's cool. That's uh, And you worked with Enyo. I did work with Enyo, who's, like, the best human ever. Like, truly. Heart of gold, that man. Yeah, that's cool. Like a oh, cool. cute little old Italian man. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He shuffled around and kept to himself and just, yeah, he was awesome. Super, super sweet. What kind of uh, crowd do you (laughs) get at uh, at a place like that? Mostly families? Mostly families. Some some dates. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Family date place. Oh, yeah. Safe date place, right? Because of the food. <laughs> You're not going to get offended by the food, right? <laughs> right. I hope not. Something, something for everyone. Uh, Actually, that's where Aaron and I met. Uh, Aaron Hanley. Yeah. yeah we got we to get her on the show. If she's listening, shout out, Aaron. Hit me up. Um, yo, yo, yo. <laughs> uh, oh, so she worked there as well? She did. I didn't know that. Huh. And then, then from there on, you guys just fell in love and will only work together for the rest of your lives. Totally. I think we've done four restaurants together. <laughs> uh, they're, all, they're all still in business, I hope, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, can you give me kind of a pet peeve about like um, serving like mostly families and like kind of a cheaper date crowd type? Oh. That is like not my my preferred style of service or, right. or patron. Um, kids are the worst. Uh, I'm younger kids and the parents who don't recognize that maybe they should clean up after their kids, or if they're not going to clean up after their kids, they should probably leave more than like a ten percent tip. It's funny how they like if um, a family comes to a restaurant or bar and then. It's almost like the parents feel like that's they they they're paying you to, to not only serve them but also to babysit. Like uh, like their parenting <laughs> responsibilities have ended because they've come to the restaurant. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, we used to have it at those like just kids tearing around there, throwing pool balls down the like down the aisles, and I'm like, where are these kids' parents? I'm like, oh, they're right there. They're just putting a picture. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. These are driving me crazy. Um, yeah, oh, kids are the worst. Kids are the worst. <laughs> just, just in general. Uh, okay, so you, uh, so Enyo, so again, probably smaller sections type place there as well, right? It, yeah, that was smaller sections. There was small definitely restaurant. like small restaurant and quite a few. There's probably maybe seven, six or seven of us working on the floor. There, okay. It's not. There's not that many tables in there. Plus, uh, Enyo's wife Rosa worked at that location, and she always had to have. A section. <laughs> oh, she would actually work the tables. She would. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> I think she just recently stopped. Actually, she was the worst part of that job. Oh, really? She was not a very nice woman. She's very much the opposite of her husband. Uh, it's funny because she did. She's pretty nice. Uh, she did serve me once when I went in there. Um, she uh, and she's nice to the customers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but I could, Which I yeah. guess is what counts. <laughs> Do you have any specific horror stories or just generally a nasty disposition? Um, she's just one of those people that would pick favorites every few days and she'd come in with like little trinkets like uh, keychains or whatever and she'd make sure that she handed them out to the people uh, in front of the person who she decided wasn't going to get one that day. Oh, wow. <laughs> nothing, nothing subtle about that. <laughs> <laughs> What a great asshole. Yeah, normally, like normally if I'm pissed off at one of my staff members, I just stop giving them shifts. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, uh, uh, were you, were, did you get trinkets, Nat? Uh not not usually. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, so so um, from there, is that now would you say you moved on? Oh, you moved again. You moved I, I did. So yeah, you didn't we- necessarily leave there because you didn't like the job. <clears throat> No, no, that's not why. 
Okay. So you go to Wellesley and why was that happening? Wellesley? Yeah, it was an interesting nine months. It was like the first year of university all over again. Um, ah. <laughs> it's amazing when you move to a different town, you don't know anybody yet. It's like, what the fuck? Eh? Just <laughs> Especially a small town with like one bar and a grocery store slash liquor store. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not much else in town. Uh, um, but, why, why did you go there? Um, the guy I was dating at the time, uh, his friend had gotten a house in Wellesley and was looking for people to move in and we weren't for it at first. And then we got offered like a vehicle if we moved in and I was going to school at the time. And it was like, all right, well we can live in Wellesley and I'll drive to Conestoga college. And Mm. so we moved to Wellesley and it was a very strange nine months of my life. (laughs) What's this place you worked at? Uh, the Nith River Chop House. Oh, okay. Okay. I've never heard of that. I couldn't tell if that was a typo on your, (laughs) but Nith. Nith, like the Nith River in like Baden and New Hamburg, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about geography. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Okay, so is that, like, I I obviously I've never heard of this restaurant, so tell me about it. What was it like? Um, I guess the concept of it was sort of like, uh, I don't even know, the ins like a a burger joint i guess kind of like a tavern feel to it but more of a tavern than the rich uncle tavern ever was okay um like maybe like big steaks big pork chops that kind of stuff yeah yeah uh, these are also all the places you've worked at so far pretty much restaurants uh rather than bars you'd say um you talk to me about that well we can get into i know you've worked at bars as well but like one of the bonuses of working at the restaurant is that you're off early, right? Like um, when everyone, when people, the bar folk are working till two in the morning, yeah. you, you're done at what, 10, 11, 12, whatever your last seating is. And then uh, generally the idea is getting drunk and spending all the, <laughs> this is the downside is that you spend all the money you made. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On the thing that made you money in the first place. Right. So, but there's only uh, there's only one place to do that in Wellesley. What was the bar called? Oh, it wasn't a bar. It was the Nith River Chop House. Like, oh, that was, that, it was a big place. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. So that's that's almost worse when like you end up just drinking at the place that you just finished mm-hmm. working at. It's uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. What, what year was this roughly when you were there? <laughs> that's funny. Um, Oh gosh, that's probably a decade ago. Oh, okay, so because I know it's still around the same same name now. So it is. It's still the Nith River Chop House. Um, it's still owned by the Eggers. Um, so oh, the Bradalbin okay. in uh, Fergus uh, is also theirs, and then there's a bunch of other chop houses. I think there's one in Grand Valley, and oh, so it's a bit of a oh, it was like a chain kind of like a small town like thing, a local local chain. Oh, yeah. Okay. And yeah. good good experience in general. You learn anything different there than you than any of the other places you worked at? Um I learned more about beer there. It was sort of like my first taste of like knowing what craft beer was. We had uh gosh, I don't even remember what was on tap. But I guess Mill Street would have been a big one back then. Right. They were still so very much craft. Craft beer movement before they got bought out by was it Molson bought them out? Yeah, Labatt. I always get them. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so this is at this point. See, I, this is the first time you're going to be amazed by this that I'm finally remembering this. But um, 
this is, did you know that you couldn't drink beer at that point? No. Okay. Because I'm very famous for offering Natalie beer all the fucking time, <laughs> even though she can't drink it. Um, the, yeah, I, somehow I can't get it into my head. I think it's because you work like, the first place that I remember you working at, like when kind of when we first met was a craft beer spot. So I just, I can't get it through my head that you don't drink beer. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so at that time you didn't know that. Um, no. So you were. At that time, the like, alcohol was a very big part of my life. And right. so you and just so, feel like shit all the time. You don't notice that it's the beer that's not making you feel very good. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, was like, I thought it was the 10 shots of Jaeger. <laughs> Um, do you, uh, at, at, at what point are you starting to develop like your knowledge for liquor and, uh, booze and liquor and booze? That's the same thing. Uh, liquor and beer and wine and what have you, has that started yet or yet to come? Um, I think the chop house was maybe where I started to get interested in that. Um, and was given more of the opportunity to like play around behind the bar and make drinks and start to understand, um, cocktails and the development of that a little bit more um now what's the is that for there is it um pretty much people just ordering classic cocktails or do they have their own list oh for sure classic cocktails and i mean it's a small town you've got a lot of beer drinkers right beer drinkers maybe some sea breezes TV, yeah, some Cosmos. Yeah. <laughs> <All> the- <laughs> uh, that's another one I always says. I, I don't, that's, I just got, someone ordered a Cosmo from me on the Saturday Night in Sugar Run. I said, oh, please, people, come, order whatever you want. I'm not trying to make fun of you, but I'm going to. Uh, like, it's just that when you work in a cocktail bar, it's so surprising when somebody orders a Cosmo now, you know? know. <laughs> like, first of all, I assume that you're probably 60 years old. Uh, <laughs> watching reruns of Sex in the City on Bravo. Oh, yeah, maybe it's crazy. Definitely. Such, yeah, there's just like I, I don't know. Like we've talked about this before, but it's like some some people just they stick with what they know, and they're not looking to be very adventurous. And if that's kind of a skill too in the service game is trying to figure out what your ta- what experience your table's in for, right? Um, Definitely. Now, if they're coming to a place like. The chop house, well, it's the only place in town. So in, <laughs> in that, so but that kind of forces you to sort of read the room a little bit more. It's not like um if you're working at a brewery, you pretty much know what kind of clientele you're gonna get and what they're looking yeah. for. If you're working at a nightclub, etc., right? But at a place like that, you're gonna get all kinds of different people. So you re- that really is where you gotta would you say that's where you honed your skill of reading customers? Yeah. That's a yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Um the chop house very much was a place where you saw all kinds, like we're talking high school students, families, people on dates, um, people who are there to get wasted that are in their twenties, dudes mm. in their seventies who are looking to do the same thing. And it's you know. funny the skill to develop too, because you there's people that you realize that just want you there talking to them the whole time. And then there's the next your very next table might be like, I they don't want you there at all. Like yeah. just drop the drop off the food and drinks and get out of my face. Right. And it's one of the skills is learning which tables, which. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's what makes, I think a good server. I think that's a a big key factor. Mm -hmm. Um, and something I know I pay attention to when I'm a diner. Right. Uh, (laughs) I find too, we've actually been doing it for a long time. Like we have that, uh, you get like, 
<laughs> you can almost tell what kind of customer is going to be the second they walk in the place, <laughs> like and with like a ninety percent success rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Uh, but then uh, the best part is when they surprise you, right? And they're a completely different type of person than. As long as they're better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I yeah, yeah. Of course, <laughs> that's much better. <laughs> like when you think someone's going to be lovely and they turn out to be just awful. That's the uh, worst. Yeah. yeah. No thanks. That's worse too because you're caught off guard. Like I feel like when if I see a I, I, like I see a certain type of person walk into the restaurant and I can tell almost immediately, oh, they're going to be difficult. At least I'm mentally prepared for it. But, yeah. But if you see a group that's like, oh, these guys look like they're going to be easy and lovely and they're not, then <laughs> it almost throws you, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Have a plan. far worse time with that. Yeah, those are the times where you just go in the kitchen for a timeout. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so you're there at, uh, and then you get out of Wellesley. Yes. Yeah. And then what, Best decision. Uh, best decision. Best decision. Uh, and you come, you come back to Kitchen Waterloo after that. Yes. And then I've the Firkin at the Tannery is your next spot. Is that accurate? Yes. But you were also yeah. working. Okay, <clears throat> uh, you were also working several jobs. Let's. Well, why don't you just tell us about that? Tell us about you come back and you're working. Just tell us. Just tell us about your experience. You were working a bunch of different places. Yeah, yeah. So we moved back to Kitchener from Wellesley. Um, the Firkin at the Tannery hadn't quite opened at the time. Uh, Aaron comes back into the picture, um, letting me know that this place is opening. We apply, both of us get hired as part of the opening team. Um, and at that point, I'm finishing up uh, public relations at Conestoga College. Um, and I get a job in this in the Tannery building where the Firkin will be um, uh, as... Sorry, doing like sorry to interrupt you. The Terry Building's got like at that point, and maybe still now, I guess, lots of sort of tech industry. Uh, yeah, office. that would have been just starting around at that time was okay. sort of when things were really building. Like Google wouldn't have been quite in the building yet. Like Desire to Learn might have been. Commuter Tech was sort of getting things up and running, and uh, that building as a whole was becoming the tech hub that it is now. I went to, um, um, when I was at, uh, just as an aside, when I was at Rabbit, uh, we did a catering <coughs> for Communitech and uh, we had to bring the food there. And they had an indoor slide uh, for the, from the second floor to the first floor, but it was it was boarded up because someone had injured themselves <laughs> on, the fucking, on the indoor fucking slide that was so desperately needed. Uh, someone <laughs> always ruins the fun. All right. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, go on. That had nothing to do with your serving career. <laughs> um, what else was going on? So yeah, I was working for a startup doing like communications and PR. I did my co-op there for school and then got hired on. Um, and then because what else was I going to do? I joined Erin uh, at this <laughs> place called Boa Nova where she was working too. And it was this little Brazilian Redizio. Uh, oh, it was at yeah. the corner of Charles and Ontario. Right. I think there's uh, a law office there now. And that place used to be, um, we had uh, West Class and actually that podcast That's right. uh, dropped a couple of weeks ago. We have, uh, he worked at the place that in that same building at the restaurant that was there before that. Now I'm drawing a blank on the names. Uh, uh, but yeah, there was a restaurant before Boa Nova that was there forever yeah. um, that he worked at anyway. That's mm. just, uh, um, so you worked at Aaron at the tannery and at Boa Nova? 
Yes. No, that's amazing. But Boa Nova was like super small staff. Like on a busy night, there was two people working. Oh, okay. But yeah. that's a, it was a pretty reasonably sized spot though, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. But it's a lot slower style of service, right? Because it was, I think, an eight-course um, meat meal, essentially. Uh, so, you, And you had um, people in the kitchen who were called gauchos, and they're the guys who came out with like the big swords with the meat on it, and they'd shave it at your table. So you had a lot more time to kind of touch your tables and talk to them and, and do your thing. Um, and people are probably a little more patient because they know... However, it's just going to take that, that experience just takes time, right? Totally. The food is coming and it will arrive when it's ready. <laughs> That's an interesting aside to talk about for now um, with uh, customers. Um, and you know, when you're like super backed up, the kitchen's super backed up and you know, people are coming there, especially on a lunch crowd or whatever. What I've like, how do you, how do you find the best way to placate uh, uh, like a impatient diner is? Ooh, an impatient diner and things are taking a long time. A recipe for a shitty customer. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. And especially because it's like we take the blame because we're the... Oh, for sure. It's not the, the face of it. Right. But there's no... We, it's also completely out of your control. Right? Yeah. The worst is when you're having a situation like that and then you do fuck up, like you forgot to put their food order in or something. <laughs> and then, oh man, those are the... That, We've those, all been I, there at least once. Oh, you just want to hide. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, like, what do you find? Like, is is there a way, is there an easy way to calm them down or is it just kind of like everybody's different? Everybody's different, but I, I don't know. I, I always try to maintain like as much honesty and like pleasantry as possible in, during those things. Like, I, you know, there's nothing you can do at some point other than try and make someone feel validated or, you know, whatever sort of needs to happen. But yeah, you know. I'm glad you said that actually, because <clears throat> I, for years, I just fucking flat out lied to them. Like, I was just like... <laughs> lie like crazy to avoid any responsibility but then i realized that after like diners are just smarter now they fucking know you they know you can see it in their face so it's just better just be honest like hey i, I fucked this up or if it, really, yeah. if it really was the kitchen you can just just say it man but i used to blame everything on the kitchen <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that yeah they can't see them they don't feel that backlash <laughs> that's right no. uh yeah I, i've always found too especially in a busy spot as long and this is what i tell my staff as long as you acknowledge them like the, the, the customers mostly just want to know that you're paying attention to them that you're totally not, that you're not ignoring them right so even if you're fucked if you're short-staffed if you're busy if the food's taking forever as long as you are acknowledge their presence and be like i'm going to be with you as soon as i can most most people reasonable people yeah. are like good with that right it's when you you're overwhelmed and you're just like <clears throat> fuck i'm just not even going to pay attention to that table because i don't have time that's, i don't want to deal with it yeah that's when they get pissed right but yeah so okay uh so that's two very different spots or different types of spots you're working at at the same time which must have i I've done that before too, and I kind of love it because one of the problems with working in the service industry, if you work in the same place for a long time, is you kind of get tired of it, right? You get tired of the people who come there, you get tired of the people you're working with or for or whatever. Yeah. But if, yeah. Or the style of service you're giving. But if you're working at two places that are pretty different, then it kind of keeps things interesting for you for longer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For so, sure, for sure. You found, uh, so, and the tannery is more, was more of a pub? 
Uh, yeah, it was a British style pub. Um, and because of the time that it was with uh, the tannery becoming um, a bit of a, a startup haven, uh, that was what we saw a lot of was, you know, young tech nerds. Right. So you got your young tech nerds at the Firkin and at the Boa Nova, you just have like hungry cavemen type or like... Pretty much. Yeah. That was definitely a date place. Like we Night. had Tim Lewis doing like uh, piano jazz on like Tuesday nights and Janae came in on like Thursdays and played classical guitar. Um, there's a lot of big, big families too. Definitely a ton of Portuguese people. Um mm. Was that that's so, the, that's what, <clears throat> that style of food is Portuguese? Uh yeah, it was like Portuguese Brazilian. So Brazilian on the Radizio side, but uh, Herman, the owner, was Portuguese, so it had a little bit of like a Portuguese flair. Uh, I met a lot of really cool people there. There was a, a neat uh, clientele. Just and uh, the tanner, the for the Firkin, is that like what time did they close at? Uh, midnight maybe. So yeah, you're still working at mostly places where you're at least getting off early, which is nice. Yeah, the like 2.30, 3 a.m. things never really appealed to me. Yeah, I, see, I kind of love it, but it's just because it's all I've ever done. I, I'm, yeah. always, I'm always surprised like uh, when I hear about people, it's like, well, I don't want to work till 2 a.m. I'm like, but what do you mean? That's how late the bars are open. <laughs> <laughs> but I... But I, it's only because I've never really, I've only worked at a couple places that weren't open super late. And then usually if I did, I was going to another place to work that was open till two. But I'm just sort of used to work. And then you do all your partying after. Yep. But you spend a lot less money that way. And except for the cocaine, of course. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, that stuff's still costly. Um, uh, okay, so uh, so you and Aaron are working at both these places. And, uh, did you have a preference of the two? Um, no, I liked them both. I kind of liked having the sort of different vibes. Um, Bonova was nice because it was super relaxed. It was usually, you know, one person in the kitchen. Herman, the owner, was there who was a decent guy. And then, like, you and maybe one other person. Mm. Um so you really just kind of got to do your own thing. This, the place was never overly busy when I worked there, um, but it needs, that's honestly some of the best money I've ever made in the industry was at that place. Oh, is that right? Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, I have no idea why. Like I have, I've never really understood how I made as much money there as I did, given the like lack of busyness that it usually was. Was were the um, were the chip the bills uh, high like? Well, I mean, you were kind of guaranteed, right? Because it was like 90 bucks a person, say. Oh, okay. Um, and you would get these big groups of people because it is such a, a feast. Right. Um, so you get like a table of 10. That's almost like it's $1,000 when you add the tax in, right? So, yeah. So that's even if they, even if you get like a shitty like 10% tip, you serve yeah. a table of 10 and made 100 bucks, right? So uh, I can see that. Um, and so why did you leave... Did you leave both places at the same time or was it staggered? Um, no, I uh, broke the top of my foot climbing up, like walking up a stair at Boanova. Uh, okay, um, we need to take a time out and talk about this for a second. Because <laughs> the one thing that as long as I've known you, you've been super famous for is <laughs> workplace injury. <laughs> 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 
This is um, like the Natalie Irving story. <laughs> just just run, it, run us through really quick all of the workplace injuries. God, I don't even think I could come up with all of them. Um, <laughs> I mean, the concussion at the rich uncle, that one was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that's that's maybe the worst one. You spilled down the stairs a couple times there, I remember. Oh, I did fall down the stairs yeah, there. Well, maybe it was just once, but it was a good one. Uh, and then you had an uh, accident at B as well, right? Or I had, a, I had a couple accidents at B. I gave myself a really bad burn. Um at the B, cleaning the espresso machine. Uh-huh. I got Those a wicked... Get they do get hot. I was cleaning, like, the steamer. Oh. Uh, and I guess some of the hot water had, like, gotten sucked up into the steamer. And so I went to go clear it. Like, hot, hot water came shooting out the sides. Oh. Yeah. And, like, nailed me, like, right under my boob. It was the most <laughs> painful thing ever. Oh, my God. It was awful. Uh. Uh, and then you also knocked a tooth out at one of those places. Is that accurate? I did. Yeah. I tree trunked the floor at Imbibe and, <laughs> and how did that my tooth. It was just like a bail? Uh, no, but that one was a little bit more, uh, there's a reason behind it. I was, I didn't realize at the time, but, uh, I'd had my first seizure. Oh, right. Okay. So let's talk about that for a second. If you don't mind talking about that. Um, sure. That's so you at some point you found out was this that was your first seizure and then so was that when you got diagnosed with epilepsy? Um, no, so that was sort of I guess the start of trying to figure out what was going on. Um, I had my coworkers that witnessed what happened like claimed that it was a seizure, but all of the tests and stuff that were done at the hospital came back saying that it wasn't a seizure. Um, during this time, they figured out that I had a hyperthyroid, um, which runs in my family. Uh, and they were like, it doesn't really make sense that you'd show signs of having something like a seizure, seizure with this, but you know, what other explanation is there? So it was about nine months uh, before I was finally uh, diagnosed. Uh, I had an MRI and they could see that there was uh, something that's called sclerosis, which is just like hardening of the brain. And it's right in my temporal lobe. Uh, so oh. all of the, I think it's the EKG where they put all the little things on your head. They don't, they don't see far enough into your brain for them to have seen what was causing um, the seizures. So at that point I'd had uh, three before an ER doctor was like, well, even if you aren't epileptic, you're showing signs of seizures. You should probably be on some kind of medication and that was that. I saw a neurologist and was diagnosed, and here we are five, almost six years later. And uh, has the medication pretty much handled it for you? Um, yeah, it was a bit of a runaround trying to figure out uh, what worked. Um, so things were a little dicey for the first year after being diagnosed, trying to find something that worked. Um, what I was on made me feel like a different person. I kind of always felt like I was outside of my body, and... Um, I really struggled with the idea of being reliant on medication. So there was a point in time where I was in denial about the whole thing and wasn't taking anything. And well, things, shit happens when you're not taking care of yourself. And right. so I was kind of forced to finally, you know, accept what was going on. And 
uh, I'll be, I was just, uh, celebrated four years seizure free in November. So oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. It's working. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did, uh, just to bring it back to the job for a second, like, um, how is dealing with something like that working in a, such a physically demanding role? Um, what do you mean? Well, I mean, you're I, like, I don't honestly don't know how it works, but like the, um, but like you're on your feet all the time. You're constantly, um, you're using your brain, you're using your feet. You're, you're like the, the job requires like full attention from everything that every part of your humanity. Right. So does, totally. does the, did the condition or the medication affect that in any way? Or were you just able to roll? Um, the early medications definitely affected that. Um, I think I took about a month off after my first seizure. Cause, uh, it's just like a lot of physical trauma that your body goes through. Um, but for the most part, like that was, I only had the one seizure at work. Otherwise it never really affected, um, my job, I guess, or my ability to do my job, okay. which, which was good. Uh, well, that's great. Congratulations on the four years. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and okay, so you go, uh, so you leave, you broke your foot and you left the, <laughs> just to backtrack where we are, at some point, <laughs> you, you broke your foot and then you left, that's when you left the uh, Firkin? That was when I left Bonova. Bonova, okay. Yeah. And then you, so you're still working at the, uh, the Firkin for a little bit after that? Yes. And then from there, you go to work at Taco Farm. Yes. Uh, briefly and you didn't like it so much correct um i mean i, I like the kind man i i like the concept i liked the food i liked the people it just wasn't the style of service so i bartended there and there was like four seats to the bar um so there wasn't really a lot of guest interaction it was hard for a bartender to really take tables and be able to do uh both jobs effectively um is that because of the type of drinks you were making or the types of drinks you were making and just like the, the way the restaurant was set up. Um, and that was one of the first places I worked where it was like everyone was green. So there's a lot of uh, university students who were just getting their taste of um, what things were like in the industry. And uh, yeah, was just wasn't my, my jam. Yeah. Um, but mostly just not, nothing would like, you didn't have an issue with, um, management or ownership or you did or no so it was just no 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 it was not just, just just not your not your type of service no okay so you leave there and then you go to you worked at so many fucking places holy shit um <laughs> you go to i know uh, i'm like i don't think i've ever made a list of them before i'm like wow this is a long list okay but then you go to a place that you really <clears throat> liked which was imbibe yeah oh imbibe so talk to us about that. I know uh, I know people really like the owners from that place. I don't really know them, but uh um before the boathouse, uh Bill, the owner of Imbibe, was just a, a really cool dude and a really awesome person to work for and someone who was really passionate about the industry um and craft beer specifically. Um I believe Imbibe was the first like Ontario craft beer bar in KW. Okay. Um, the sort of the first ones doing what they were doing, you know, taps were constantly rotating. 
Um, so there wasn't like a set draft list by any means. Um, and so when and, that, when that, sorry, I didn't interrupt you, when that changed to be at the museum, this pretty much the concept is the same, right? Yes. Okay. So they just the ownership change? Um, yeah. So the Cambridge Hotel took over the space um, and opened Be at the Museum. Um, and yeah, sort of rode with the imbibe business model. Um, I think hoping to kind of keep the the same crowd. Imbibe was built on regulars. Like I've never worked at a place that had as many loyal and regular regulars who were there, you know, multiple times a week as uh, Imbibe had. It sounds like lots of them too, because I swear to God, when I first started working with you, I didn't realize like this about you. Like we we'd known each other before that, but I didn't realize that every single fucking person in Kitchener knows you. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. There wasn't a single person who came into Rich Uncle that wasn't like Natalie. <laughs> but that says something about you too, because it wasn't like fuck Natalie. Because I think I there's definitely people who come into my places and like, oh, this fucking asshole. <laughs> Uh, everybody was genuinely pleased to see you. <laughs> oh man, I think I don't know. I really like I really like working um, in the service industry, uh, and so I've built a, a lot of relationships um, with a lot of. I what am I trying to say? I got lost in my train of thought. Well, uh, if, maybe uh, if I could. <laughs> guess would be like, you're really good with, um, and maybe this isn't what you were trying to say, but it's certainly true about you. You're really good at um, making personal connections with the people who come into your places. That's something I've noticed about you. Oh, thanks, Kip. Yeah. So that's, but uh, no, but like people, uh, there's customers who, that's what they really want, you know? They, especially there's lots of like lonely hearts who come in and they are just looking to talk to who's working there, but you genuinely seem to enjoy that. I do. I really do. I think that's why I've been doing this as long as I have. Yeah, like that's your favorite part about it? <laughs> that is definitely my favorite part about it, for sure. For sure, yeah. for sure. And I mean, being downtown too, I've worked downtown for the last decade. Um, and it, it's a pretty tight-knit uh, community. So, you know, you really get to know people. And I think working in the service industry, you get to know that much more. You really do, especially when you're in a smaller town like we're in. Like uh, I just call it like you just become small town famous, right? Like totally, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, see, my Kitchener favorite famous. My favorite part is just eating food off other people's plates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so, tell me what else you like specifically liked about Imbibe. Um, the people that I worked with were phenomenal. We were a super small staff of, oh gosh, I think there was, there was three main, main people. So myself, Austin and Edith were sort of the main crew. The two of them were there before I started. Um, but outside of that, there'd be Bill, the owner, maybe one or two people in the kitchen. And then I think we had like a, like a fourth sort of floater person. Um, so you really got to command the space and, uh, I guess kind of run it how, how it best worked for you. There was very little structure. Um, and everyone that worked there was super confident and liked their job and pulled their weight. And so it was a really, um, it was a really positive work environment, um, coupled with so many regulars and people that you really got to know, um, 
Uh, can we talk about that for a little bit, actually, the structure thing? Because um, uh, maybe tell us about the pros and cons, sort of. You don't have to make an actual list, but like the of like working in a place like Charcoal Group, where everything is very structured, um, down to uniforms, everything, right? Whereas yeah. working at a place where you pretty much have free run in the place, what are the advantages and disadvantages of both of those? Again, I think it comes down to the, like the type of place that it is. Um, I've never really been drawn to, um, really structured, uh, restaurants or work environments just in general. Um, I like to call her outside the lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think for me, uh, what makes a great restaurant are, uh, people being themselves. And I think when things are really structured, um, and I, I do struggle with this a little bit in my current job, mm-hmm. um, is that you you lose a little bit of that. Uh, and you're maybe playing more of a role rather than uh, just being yourself. You know, you feel a little phony at times. And I think it holds, it can hold people back. Um, yeah. Well, the job can be kind of like, acting a lot of the time right like because we i mean i think people forget like we're all human beings too when you come into like and say i'm serving a group of people come in or you are and like maybe we just had the worst fucking day of our lives but we still had to come to work that day and you, you gotta and for other people like maybe in their job they can just be by themselves Whereas mm-hmm. we're forced, it's forced socialization, right? So yeah. <laughs> there, is a, there is a fair amount of acting that goes into it sometime. But you're right in like those more structured corporate type places. It, it, it is, that's an interesting way of putting it. It's almost more like like your whole job is acting as opposed Definitely. to just using your own personality. And I, I can see that for you because part of what, like one of the reasons that you're so good at your job is because of your personality, I think. So that's like, if you feel like that's stifled, that's not going to be the kind of place for Natalie. No, no. But I don't have to wear a uniform to work every day. So I'm okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, so, uh, okay. So you're at uh, Imbibe and then you, this is where you discover the whole um, epilepsy situation. Yes. And, yes. and then you... You went to a little traveling? Uh, well, I tried to do a little traveling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for a year prior to uh, my first seizure, which happened uh, on April 1st, might I add. That <laughs> uh, was a really cruel April Fool's joke. Yeah, it was no joke. Uh, it, was, it was no joke. <laughs> um, I'd been training for a bicycle trip across Canada. Um so I had everything like worked out. I knew when I was leaving and a buddy of mine and I were, were doing this together. Um, and we were leaving. Uh, it was about three months between my first seizure and uh, us taking a Greyhound with our bikes all the way to Whistler. Uh, and being this stub- stubborn German that I am, I'm like, I'm doing this trip anyways, even though I don't really know what's wrong with me and I may be having seizures or maybe I'm not having seizures. Like I'm doing this bike trip. I put so much time and effort and money um 
I'm doing it. So we take this Greyhound for two and a half days out to Whistler. And it was like the most eye-opening experience ever. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, we are going to be in the middle of nowhere so often. And I don't know what's going on with my health right now. Like, what the fuck were you thinking? Right. So <laughs> we got to Whistler. We spent a few days in Whistler and then turned around and got on the Greyhound bus and came home. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well... At least you got to see Whistler. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty nice. (laughs) I learned that I will never, ever travel by bus again. Oh, that's a long fucking bus trip. Yeah. And that, like, that's, that's worse than serving the worst section of all time. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, Okay. So you, uh, you come back and, um, you then start working at the Boathouse, which is a pretty big Kitchener landmark. It's, um, for those who don't know, right in the middle of Victoria Park, famous for live music. Um, mm-hmm. And tell me what you hated about that experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so right before uh, I left for my bike trip, uh, Bill had just won the bid uh, with Mark, the financial partner for the boathouse. Okay, um, just to interject here in case people don't know, <clears throat> the boathouse is technically, that, that building is technically owned by the city of Kitchener, correct? Uh, yeah. So you, in order, when, um, when, it, when it's available for rental, then you actually have to submit a bid to the city and at that point, a number of different people. In fact, uh, Glenn Smith, who was on our podcast earlier, was yeah. one of them. He was talking about that. Yes. He didn't get Him it. and Danny Michelle. Danny Michelle, correct. And they pulled That's out right. I forgot it was yeah. Dan. Everyone pulled out early. So Bill yeah. and Mark won by default. Yes. There was no one left to compete against. That's like because... the worst fucking porn movie of all time. That's a <laughs> my life, too. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, we're talking about the boathouse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the boathouse. Yeah. So I came back and there was uh, still a place for me um, to sort of sign on with the management team for the boathouse. Things were still very much under construction. So I came on as bar manager um, and sort of saw things through uh, from like a menu building phase. Uh, until we opened, which was a very long, um, unanticipated uh, amount of time. Did you um, enjoy the whole process of the, oh, this is your first time of actually like opening a place kind of, right? Yeah, in a management capacity, yeah. for sure. So did you enjoy that? You enjoy the process I of did. developing a menu and whatever? I really, really did. Yeah, it was yeah. cool kind of seeing things uh, from the ground up. Um, yeah. It's got challenges though, it, it, but there's parts parts of it that's like, in some ways, that's the most fun. Like, what's definitely the most fun part of the process of opening, because believe me, the rest of it all sucks shit. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> dealing with the city and your contractors and all that stuff. Oh yeah. But Gross. like, but the creativity of like coming up with your own menu and like what have you, that's kind of fun. Definitely, and that was really my first um, time really getting to design um, a menu and and really play along uh play, play around with cocktails and uh figuring things out and so because we were a venue they were all like named cheeky like named after musicians and bands and stuff right like, what was it? 
oh gosh, I don't even remember any of them anymore. For like a purple rain and like ice ice baby and right. things like that. Yeah. But you enjoyed the process <clears throat> of coming up with cocktails? I did. And where did you learn how to do that? Like you had never done it before. So were you just like kind of uh, flying blind or? Well, I guess I sort of found interest when I was back at the Chop House, started playing around with uh, designing cocktails and doing features and things there. Um, And then Taco Farm had like a a curated cocktail list uh, that Nat had put together. Um, So that was sort of my my first introduction to really... um, learning how to build a cocktail properly and how to shake it and how to make it properly in the whole process. And like what um, flavor profiles go together. Yeah. Cause, Cause that's a big thing if, to figure out. Like it's like, you know, when you're, I mean, on my first experience of making a cocktail, I was um, 12 years old and we went back to my buddy's um, house for lunch and we just took all the liquor in his mother's cabinet and mixed it all together. So it was a cocktail of like, <laughs> Three parts gin, three parts vodka, three parts rum, three parts rye, and one part straw. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how I learned about flavor profiling. <laughs> I don't know why. Do you remember one-eyed jacks? Yeah, yeah. It just like made me think of combat juice. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> they have a little chalkboard sign up in front of their place that says, eat the rich, they taste like chicken. Oh, <laughs> I saw that like two uh, weeks ago. So uh, yeah, so you're using um, you're using the um, so you've already <laughs> kind of learned like the basics of flavor profiling from these two other bar jobs you had. And now you've got it. You've you've kind of at least got the basics down. But now this is your first attempt at like sort of doing it for yourself. Definitely. No, oh, that's cool. So um, okay, so you, you enjoyed that part. Then the place finally opens, and uh, like every other place, it was delayed forever. Uh, oh my god. The place like fell apart at the seams really bef- before they even submitted their initial bid. Um between the partners I get like the, it was just a clusterfuck. No one really knew what they were doing. No one got along. No one trusted each other and this is from like a top down kind of thing. Um there ended up being like a lot of interpersonal issues uh with the front of house manager and I which I never really understood why. Um, it just became a really toxic place. Um, and so I just walked away. Yeah, it's the only time I've ever done that. <laughs> yeah, I've only done it once too, but it was the place we worked at together. <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> or Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> who, of course, also worked there. Um, but but that's... It's a... Like, you... For people like you and I who have worked at like so many different places and so many different types of restaurants and bars as well, like it take it's got to be pretty shit for you to like literally just pull the shoot and say, I just can't do this anymore. Like, uh, and there's nothing worse than I'm sure this is the same in every job, uh, any type of profession, but I feel like specifically because the framework of working in a bar and restaurant is so um, <laughs> contingent on teamwork. Yeah. If you have a toxic situation in any respect, then it's uh, it's just like it's it's unmanageable. Totally. Totally. And the the customers can tell. Yeah. Yeah. And the place, it just it wasn't what I thought it would be. And it wasn't what I think it intended to be. 
but beyond that, it just, it didn't, I, uh, it just, it wasn't what it should have been. It it wasn't what it could have been, you know, trying to follow up a place like the old boathouse, you know, the Kevin boathouse, which Mm -hmm. was a shithole, but it was awesome. You know, like it had its place in downtown and it was doing something really cool. And the boathouse just didn't have an identity. And they were trying to do all these things and trying to, you know, do the same things that were working before, but it just there was no direction and there was no real leader and it was just, everyone was always at each other's throats and it just, yeah, yeah. it wasn't. And it's I remember not... it. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I, uh, I did, I gave two weeks notice and then I remember getting home that night and I'm like, I can't go back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, you missed it then. Cause the best thing is the, the freedom of actually doing the walkout in the middle of the <laughs> I tell you the truth, it's the fucking shittiest thing to do. And I felt awful about it the next day. But in the second of doing it, oh my God, it was like, Livata, Livata. Okay, so uh, yeah, and and there was sort of like a bit of mispotential there as well, right? Like you felt like it could have been so good. And instead, you're in this toxic environment. So sometimes you just got to do something for your own fucking mental health. Just get yeah. the hell out of it. And no yeah. no job is worth feeling miserable. No, God no. Unless maybe you're making a lot more than we make. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe, maybe. Thank you. Um so from there you go where where have I got you here? Uh where did I go after that? You tell me. You have the list. Okay. Yes, I'm looking <laughs> at it right now. Sorry, I'm it's so long that uh uh Okay. Uh, yeah. So that was uh, the boathouse, and you, you know, what you were saying, what in, in what you sent me here, and um, sorry, this is terrible preparation. This is why I'm such a great host. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you kind of like felt like questioned whether you wanted to even be in the industry anymore. Um, yeah. So at that point, like I was still going through a lot, trying to come to terms with, you know, the fact that I had epilepsy, I'm 28 years old. Like what the heck your my entire life felt like it was blowing up around me and there was nothing I could do with it. So being in such a, a toxic, um, work environment didn't really help things. So after I left the boathouse, I really, um, wasn't in a, a good place and I didn't really know what was next for me. Um, so I took some time off and then reached out to uh, people I'd worked for before, um, got hired, and just being the kind of person I am, when I went to go fill out all my tax forms and stuff to uh, get things rolling, I was honest about uh, my epilepsy diagnosis and, well, lesson learned. <laughs> I, I So they didn't uh, hire you because of that, even though they had reached out to you to work there? And what, I'm sorry, yeah. do, you, do you want to tell us what place that was? <clears throat> no, I'm not okay. going to, I won't, no, because these people, they're good people. And I, uh, on some level understood, I mean, it, it, at its core, it was very much discrimination. Um, yeah, it's, it seems like, a, I, I, I'm sorry, but like, it seems like a weird thing to discriminate against if you're on medication and you've got it handled, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it was a small restaurant and their fear was that I would be alone more often than not. And they didn't feel comfortable with taking on the responsibility of having me uh, take over that role. 
Um, and so a shitty situation and headspace that I was already in really uh, hit rock bottom after that. And I, I did think that maybe restaurants wouldn't be for, there wasn't a place for me um, in restaurants anymore. Well, that's pretty, two pretty back to back situations, right? So yeah. yeah. Um, well, what you don't want to do is go work in a place where you sit in a cubicle because then you just uh, you realize <laughs> how much how much you want to be in the service industry. And I'm not <laughs> saying that from anything but personal experience. Um, yep. Uh, but okay, yeah. So I like. Well, I mean, we haven't really talked a whole lot about discrimination um, in this industry yet. So, and I, it never would occur to me that someone would be discriminated against for a reason like that. Like when you when you lay it out, I guess I kind of see where they're coming from. But it's also like, how about you just give it a shot, and then if it's an issue, then you can be like, look, this is why it's not working. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like rather than just like you being honest with them and saying, well, and then them pulling the plug on it. But we, I, do you feel like there's outside of your personal experience, do you feel like there's a lot of discrimination in this industry? Ooh. Honestly, like I, it's not something I've really uh, thought about before. Not to sound like. No, me neither, but you just brought it up and now I'm thinking about it. no i know i'm just being honest like i never really i never like i don't feel like i i'm in a position where i hire and fire people but i don't feel like it i mean like i don't feel like i'm a discriminatory person but i also don't like it just doesn't cross my mind but i i like i know i will say this there's one thing about this industry there's definitely um you might be discriminated against in certain places if you're not a young, hot girl, mm-hmm. right? Because there's certain places that that's who they want to hire. So that's a form of discrimination. But I don't, um, I haven't, I personally, and I'm sure it's different everywhere. And maybe if anybody, you can DM us actually, if anybody's experienced something like this, then we can drop it on the next show, but like, um, or come on the show even better. But the, I I haven't encountered a whole lot of discrimination against for like race or gender or in this industry personally. So I don't know if you had any experiences like that. And I mean, um, not necessarily directed at you, but have you know have you noticed it? Not that I can think to think of just off the top of my head. I mean. You experience things as a woman in this industry, obviously. I mean, sure. the relationship between back of house and front of house is always uh, a bit of tension, but it's specifically between men and women back there, you know, <laughs> things yeah. Yeah. Uh, are not what they are in, in most jobs in other industries, I think. Yeah, um, like the, there's, there's, it's a it's weird culture where certain things are accepted that would not be accepted in any other fucking place on earth. Like, totally. It's crazy. And obviously guys don't like, there's a little, we get, we get a little bit of it, but like not even close to what women have to go through in the industry. And we had um, Kara who you worked with on earlier and she was talking a lot about that actually about um, experiences she's had in that situation. But I know, I also know, um, and I'm kind of outing you, but I also know you had a bit of an issue with that when I worked with you with somebody in the kitchen. Um, (laughs) So is that is stuff like that happening? And and part of it's because you're just fucking friendly and like um, I don't know insecure people with issues have t- 
take that the wrong way. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So do you, uh, do you want to talk about that at all or would you rather just move on? Yeah, let's move on. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so uh, from <clears throat> you, so you thinking that for a while, you're just like, you're not sure if you even want to do this anymore. And then what brings you back? Oh, where did I go after the boathouse? According to my notes on this podcast, <laughs> now that I'm well-researched, <laughs> my, my notes tell me that you went to B. Oh, yeah. Um, so someone I'd worked with at Imbibe, um, and we were briefly roommates. Uh, not Aaron, is it? Better not be <clears throat> No, it wasn't Aaron. Um, she sort of, she sent me uh, a link to the posting that a new place was opening where Imbibe was. And, um, I've lived downtown for a long time and working close to where I live is real convenient and yeah, really yeah. nice. And you get really accustomed to it. Um, so I thought, well, maybe, maybe it'll be as cool as imbibe. Um, it brought back a lot of really positive memories of the industry and I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to go for it. And so I applied and got hired and was part of the opening team there. Um, at this point, again, we talked about this earlier, they're sort of the same concept, craft beer, constantly rotating taps. At this point, your beer knowledge must be pretty fucking solid, even though, have you just, have you figured out now at this point that you can't drink beer? Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. By the time I started the B, I know that uh, beer does not make me feel very good. But the good news is that you had already worked at those places like that where you've tasted so many different types of craft beer. And yeah, because yeah. I think like I think like, you can gain the knowledge from reading about it and learning about it. But if you can't taste it, it's a different scenario. Right. Definitely. It's hard to describe a flavor, I think, or a taste. Yeah. By reading about it. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and you, so you worked there for a stretch, right? I did. I think I was there almost three years. Yeah. And so I, yeah. And then, and a uh, good experience there. Yeah. Good experience. I mean, not without its challenges, like any job, but the people that I worked with there were amazing. And I still, uh, have friends who I worked with there, which is always a cool thing to take away from a job. Um, yeah. Do you find, um, and I don't know, I guess we don't fucking know actually, but like I, I, this job really seems to lend itself to lasting personal relationships with your coworkers. Like it, there is a stretch where some of them you just like don't ever see again. you like, you could be best friends with somebody during the time you're working there and then you stop working with them and that's it. You never talk to them again, but there's yeah. so many people that you just keep connected to. Totally. Yeah. I think this area in particular, I mean, it's a pretty small industry. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's like, I am sure it is one degree of separation <laughs> for people that have worked with each other in the industry. Yeah. Um, but I think beyond that, like just the job that it is, like you're working so closely with people um, that you get to know them on a, on a different level than you would sitting at a desk across from someone. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you socialize with them more often too. Like I know that office people go out for drinks with each other, but we like used to. Like, it's constant. Yeah, and you spend fucking like late night sessions, you know, like hours of drinking and drug use and whatever <laughs> you're doing, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's like, I mean, you just yeah, you really get to know people in a, a very close way, which is a great thing about this job. I mean, I totally. Yeah. 
the, the friend the friend group you can build working in the service industry is arguably the best part of it. Totally. Agreed. Wholeheartedly. Uh, so then you and I start working together after that, I think. Heck yeah, we do. Yeah. So that obviously was probably one of your best experiences. <laughs> <laughs> no, I regret just, leaving every day. <laughs> <laughs> Who left first, me or you? I don't even remember. You. Yeah, what, did I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I left in glorious fashion. Oh, um, yes. So we worked together at the Rich Uncle Tavern. We were both part of the team that was there from day one uh, when I flipped the concept from the Berlin to the Rich Uncle Tavern. Um, I've talked about this with other people on the show as before, but my, my big thing with that place is they didn't really have an identity. Oh, totally. That's always the first thing I say about that place. Yeah, just they didn't know what they wanted to be. Were no, they fine no dining? Idea. Were they a tavern? Like, so, um, and that, uh, so uh, tell me about your experience there. What? <laughs> um, my experience there. Goodness. I mean, it was pretty, it was a, it was a good experience. Um, I really enjoyed working there. Uh, I think the, the team of us for the most part was pretty awesome. We had a lot of strong, uh, engaged and really super duper humans working there. I couldn't agree um, with you more. They were fucking, it was not only a pro team working there, like pro veterans working there, but so many good people. Oh yeah. Like great people. So many people that I had like Dan Booker. How awesome oh, is that guy? Oh, he's amazing. He was my work wife the whole time I worked there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Candace and like, um, yeah, like, well, Kara, you, Aaron, of course. Aaron, of course. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like just great people working there. And the kitchen staff was awesome too. You know, totally. The food was good. The food was really good there. Is. Um, like we're assuming it's going to reopen. Yes. <laughs> no. uh, um, my, my wife works there. She's pretty awesome, I like to think. She is super <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, no, I think overall it was, I, I enjoyed working there. I, um, I hadn't officially started looking for places. Um, or sorry, started like looking uh, for a new job when the charcoal thing kind of fell into my lap, but I sort of had felt myself coming uh, to an end with uh, the rich uncle. It just, it lost a little bit of its magic as some of the staff started to dwindle away. It was very disorganized. Um, like, they, they, <laughs> yeah, they had, two, um, they, had, they had 400 managers. They had a manager of like, the manager of um, toilet care cleaning like, yeah. yeah you know what i mean like there's just there was a manager for everything and and they none of them seemed to be on the same page no so every well, night was, i, I always no one said could to, buy into the place no, no like i always said to my uh, wife when i was like before she worked there even when i would go in there and i'd be like i literally have never worked in a place where as i'm on my way to work i have no fucking idea what to expect when i get there <laughs> <laughs> like anything could have been happened Oh, for sure. Yeah. There was no preparation. There was no organization. No consistency whatsoever. Yeah. It was, it was a wild ride, Matt. It was a wild ride. It was a wild ride. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but like, again, unbelievably, somehow they nailed the hiring. 
Totally. Like they got you know. really, really lucky. Really yeah. lucky. Yeah, great team there for sure. Um, yeah. And so then you got the gig um, managing, where you ostensibly are still now, assuming we all are allowed to go back to work at some point. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Right. <laughs> uh, so talk about your current job. Uh, so currently I am the beverage manager for the charcoal, um, legacy building, uh, which includes the charcoal steakhouse martinis and, uh, Dell's Italian kitchen. Uh, so I've been there since about September, um, after my stint, uh, managing at the boathouse, I swore I would never manage another restaurant again, because mm. uh, it's a lot of work um, for seemingly uh, very little sometimes. The work reward um, uh, ratio is very out of line for middle management in the restaurant game, that's uh, for sure. To- totally. And I, most restaurants, you know, you're not, um, you're valued, but not from a financial standpoint, usually. Right. Of course, um, yeah. So the opportunity uh, for my current position, like truly fell into my lap. Um, thanks, Terry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it made sense. All the pieces sort of fit. I, you know, I have fond memories of working there from when I was in high school. Um, that place holds on to people like you wouldn't believe. Like there are staff that have been there for, you know, close to 30 years. Um, so there's still a lot of people there now, um, that were there when I was there in high school. Um, and it just, as much as I didn't think I would take the job cause it was management and, um, I, I did the interview and it, it just sort of made sense from a lot of, uh, different perspectives. And I was sort of feeling over the whole serving and bartending thing. Like I felt like there was something more for me, um, and yeah, this is, it's been really cool. Yeah. So uh, what do you, I know, you, I know you say it fell in your lap, but what, <clears throat> with all that you knew about the industry and all you knew about middle management in the industry, what made you take the leap to do it? Um, what did make me take the leap to do it? Well, I mean, financially it made sense. Um, there was stability in taking on something, a management role and knowing, um, that at least I think there'd be some compensation for the amount of work that it is. Um, it was a larger, uh, restaurant. So there's more support from a management side. Um, when it's just kind of you and someone else, uh, the job feels a lot and becomes a lot bigger. Um, and I knew some of the people that were working there and it just, yeah, I don't know. It, it felt, it felt right. It felt good. Um, and I was ready for a change and to take on more responsibility and get some different experience under my belt. And, uh, and you're still enjoying it. I mean, obviously up until the point where you were still allowed to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, I think it's been six, maybe seven weeks now since. Who fucking knows? Who fucking knows? I like the only, I was saying to Dan earlier today, the only reason I knew it was Monday is because we usually record podcasts on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've got some kind of routine, like keeping That's it. you going. I got a oh. once a, I got a once a week routine. <laughs> <laughs> record a show and get bombed yeah uh luckily dan's still working full-time because he has got like a on a, a, a daytime um tech gig yeah so yeah so for me and i'm not, from home and i constantly yeah. you know you just become when you're isolated like this too you just also become very self-involved and i'm just i'll just be like 
hey dan like what the fuck like where are we recording tomorrow whatever and i'm forgetting that he still works for a living like i'm like just just because i have nothing to fucking do doesn't mean that he doesn't yeah Yeah, so cheers cheers to dan for keeping this podcast alive while he actually is one of the few of us the only person who's ever on this show still has a job (laughs) must be nice yeah i mean the people that are working like i i I'm curious what this whole pandemic's been like for you, I guess. Like, you're experiencing something completely different than the people who are doing nothing. Well, uh, you know what? Honestly, like, my job, because the nature of the industry that it is, it uh, hasn't been much different, like, because all our products are all digital and all our clientele is international. So I still get the same bullshit. People fucking chirping at me, non-fucking stuff. No matter where they're from, going, hey, what the fuck's going on here? So like, the only difference is like now I, I drop F-bombs at home versus at the office. Hmm. So but it, it's been pretty so like, I, As long as you can still get them out. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, totally. All, all the last backwards steps in life have actually pr- worked out quite well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, Natalie, before we let you go, let's talk a little bit about uh, a blonde redhead. Okay, okay. This Because this is your your business. It's, yeah, it's been on hold for some time. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know that. Sorry. Maybe you don't want to talk about that. No, it's not anything. It's just uh, I haven't really had time Um you know, when you work as a server or bartender, you yeah. know, your your shifts are kind of all over the place and you have a lot of free time in a day, um, especially when you're, you know, primarily working nights, you're not going until five. Right. Um, so when I started the job with the charcoal, you know, you're working um, five, six days a week, you know, you're doing 10, 12 hour days and... Right. Uh, it didn't really leave a lot of not just time, but like the creative freedom um, sure. of just being able to dive into something and just go with like, there's just none of it was lining up. Uh, so I haven't really done anything with it since September. Okay. But just tell us, tell, tell, tell the audience what it is, what it's all. Uh, so I started uh, my own little business, I guess, called Blonde Redhead Co. Um, I am a paper artist, uh, so I do do fine, detailed paper cutting. Um, typically, it's framed art, um, but I also do like origami lanterns. Um, oh, cool. Dabble with some embroidery, and yeah. As a uh, obvious art expert, I obviously have no clue about it, but I will say it's fucking dope. So if you, so, people should at least check out. Is your Instagram page still active, so you can check out some of the shit you've done at least. Yes, okay. uh, at Blonde Redhead Co. Yeah, it's super cool. So at least go check it out. She may not be able to do anything for you in the <laughs> in the near future, but uh, but it's on there, and you should check it out. Uh, it's on there and it's yeah you should check it out yeah thanks it's awesome. no no problem thanks for coming I'm on the show i'm teacher so i don't have time for it now either yeah that's right yeah <laughs> at home teacher for two kids um natalie i love you thanks for coming on oh, the show. i love you too thank you so much we really Please appreciate give Janine a huge hug i will do i will do i got nothing else to do that's we're just stuck in the house <laughs> together so Fine. yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you dan Nice to meet you as well. Thanks very much Fantastic. for coming on. Thanks, uh, guys. Natalie Herzing, she's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, once again, if you enjoy what we're doing here, please subscribe to the Industry Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will 
be back next week with another episode. Fuck yeah. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. Bye. Woo.